G'day, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Scale HQ Podcast. Uh, fabulous episode today. I know there's lots of you out there uh, listening who would love to build their business to a stage where they can step back from it. Step back so that you can retain you know, some dividends, some shares, some ownership control of the asset, but to free you ac- actually up to do some other things. That might be to start a new business. That might be to partner on a business. That might be to mentor others. That could be a million things. Um, and I know lots of you would love you love the kind of the starting hustle of you know figuring out the problem and building the business in the first place. And not everybody loves the scaling part and actually having to scale up their leadership and continue to learn that process because some of them actually just really prefer the startup stage and don't love the scaling stage. Regardless, um, that's a really unique opportunity for me today to talk to Isha Oberoi, who was also the very first episode on Scale HQ podcast. She built a really significant um, care services business. She stepped back from that as an executive director, and she started a completely new business. She's gone into a text. She's gone from a big services business to a tech startup that's you know kind of AI infused around mental health. So I think you are going to love hearing about the transition that she made in this journey. You know, it's not just oh, I'm just going to start a new business. Well, who's going to run the existing business? Can I actually step back? Do I have somebody capable? What does it mean for my identity? What does it mean for the risk? You know, what if I fail and it's really public and everybody sees it after I've been successful in this other thing? Will it somehow negatively impact the the main the the main uh, golden goose, if you want, um, that I've spent my time building? It's such an interesting journey, and I think you're really going to enjoy hearing how Isha um, made the decision, thought about the transition, what that actually felt like for her. Um, and she's now, uh, I guess, sort of 16 months probably uh, into building her new startup. Um, and so she's still got quite a way to go. So fabulous time to chat to her. I think you'll really enjoy today's uh, episode. Welcome to the Scale HQ podcast, your weekly injection of tips and insights into the secrets of scaling. I'm your host, Sean Steele, and I am obsessed with figuring out how to help founders just like you who are creating real value in the world to scale up so they can fulfill their potential. I do that each week by interviewing founders who successfully scaled, experts in all the areas of business that you need to master, interviews with founders who are still on the way up, and 10-minute tutorials and reflections from me based on my experiences in creating 100 million bucks in revenue for four other companies over eight years. So let's dive in and see what gems we can find together on this week's episode of the Scale HQ Podcast. G'day, everybody, and welcome back to the Scale HQ podcast. Welcome back to our regular listeners and to anybody joining us for the first time. We are thrilled to have you. My guest this week is a very special one for you this week, Isha Oberoi, founder and now executive director of Afia Care Services, um, as well as founder and CEO of Leora.ai since, I guess, the beginning of last year. How are you, Isha? Very good. Thank you for having me. It is my pleasure. Well, it's actually... Almost two years to the day, uh, September 21, uh, that you were the very, very first guest on what was called the Scale Ups podcast back then, now called the Scale HQ podcast. So first of all, huge thanks to you um, for trusting me and for being the very first uh, guest. And for those who've joined us more recently, it was a fantastic episode. Um, We had a lot of fun. We unpacked the journey of what was at that stage of um, care services you know, compassionate um, home and community care in Sydney and Melbourne that you'd started at 24. And by the time we'd spoken, you'd grown to 350 full-time equivalent staff uh, over the 13 years to 2021. And since then, you've stepped back into a directorship at Afia Care Services, founded Leora.ai, which I'm going to get you to explain uh, in a minute, which is a very big journey because there are a lot of founders listening today who who have in their mind, you know, some kind of um, future where they've built their company to a size that suited their ambitions, their you know, professional development goals, whatever, then they've stepped back 
they've remained involved perhaps in some way, they haven't sold the golden goose, they've installed management, um, et cetera, and they've been able to either just step back and enjoy the proceeds or be able to focus on something new. Quite often they think about selling entirely and starting um, something new. I don't know how many, uh, I don't have any data on how many actually step back into a direction and then start an entirely new business uh, at the same time. So I'm really keen to unpack that um, transition uh, with you today because it's not just strategy, it's psychology and your identity and all these other um, amazing things. Um, so can I, can I ask maybe just as a starting point, what, let's just start with what is Leora.ai? Leora is a mental health chatbot. So it's effectively empowering an individual to go into an app and do therapeutic exercises, self-directed, in the absence mm -hmm. of having a therapist or whilst they're waiting for a therapist session. Ah, okay. So it's often actually almost used as an in-between. They may have booked a therapist session and this, is, this can get them started. Yes, exactly. And in fact, okay. as we're building up the features on our product roadmap, we also have uh, recommendations of exercises coming through from the therapist to the user. So it's kind of doing a full circle where uh, it's not that you go and do a session and then there's kind of, then there's the vacuum, right, of accountability. Mm. We want to build in that accountability and kind of ownership for the user to be able to interact. And that's what Leora is, a mental health chatbot to make it engaging for a person to learn cognitive behavior therapy techniques for themselves so they feel empowered in their own mental health journey. And what took you to, because you're kind of playing at the intersection between there's like, there are actually human therapists available, I understand, as part of the platform. You've got a chatbot that is um, leveraging a psychological model like um, cognitive behavioral therapy, which some people may or may not know, the also called CBT, I believe. Uh -huh. um, and then there's an AI component. What, what is the AI actually doing in this process? So, yeah, there's three parts to it. Um, you've rightly said, this is a blend. We're a blended model. We actually have therapists within the app as well. So Leora mm -hmm. as a chatbot can then identify, and this is where the AI comes in. It can identify sentiments and emotions through, as one example, keyword classification and as we train the bot. And then it can triage or recommend a therapist within from the platform itself. And so we have our own therapist mm -hmm. clinicians that are on the platform, uh, ready to jump on if needed. Um, or they can be booked in for a later time as well. Okay. So uh, the AI comes in, when we think about artificial intelligence, it's huge. You know, there's a machine learning element, there's deep learning. And I think we're really, in all honesty, very much at the start of that. When we think about chatbots, there's large language models. Mm -hmm. Did we did we want to come back to this? Or are you happy for me to go into it? Right oh, let's now? just go. Let's go straight into it. Yeah, I'm keen let's to unpack this. Let's go with the this. flow. Um, and because I'm going to move you back to the transition, but let's make sure that everyone's really clear about actually what you transition to. Okay, sure. So, well, then let's give a little bit of a backstory. The the, the whole thing okay. about Leora and the importance of bringing or using technology now to break down barriers. We're going to continue breaking down barriers. If we think about even two decades ago, say when I had depression, culturally. Uh, my parents didn't identify with the word depression. They had no kind of resonance with it. What does it even mean? What does it mean to be depressed? You know, so that was mm. two decades ago. Now we've come a long ways in a, from a society perspective, starting to really break down that stigma. But there's other barriers, people wanting to access mental health care. The three biggest barriers that we know of around why someone won't access mental health is um, so stigma, which I just mentioned, and then there's mm -hmm. cost 
it's incredibly mm-hmm. expensive. We're talking $250 per hour um, from a private sense to go and sit in for a psychologist for an hour, right? So these can add up really quickly, these costs. Mm. And then even if we're on a subsidized plan, like we're paying through partly subsidized Medicare payments, we're still paying up to $110 on average to see a therapist. So the cost is a huge barrier. And then if we can overcome even um, the stigma and the cost, the other thing is access. They're just, uh, there's a maldistribution of clinicians versus people that require or the demand of healthcare uh, users are people that want to access mental health care. They're not being able to get oh. it. So if in Australia- I didn't know that, actually that. So there's, there's an undersupply, is there, of clinicians versus the current demand to access Abs- it? Yeah, absolutely. So to see a yeah. psychologist, you're sometimes waiting three to, to six months. 27% of the Australian population lives in rural and regional areas. And in those mm. areas, people are sometimes waiting 12 months to see a psychologist because most of our psychologists and clinicians are based um, and they reside in metro cities. Mm. So with the technology or utilizing this technology, what we're hoping to do, what we're hoping to achieve is we want to bring in, we want to empower users to one, learn therapy. This is my Mm -hmm. own personal experience having seen therapists for over a decade now that there are certain techniques that are just repeated, no matter how deep I go into my trauma or my healing journey, there are certain therapy techniques or questions or coaching style, which is, and the worst widely used one is cognitive behavior therapy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That is just a repeated set of questioning and coaching that occurs within the therapy session. And so when we think about like mental health more broadly, we have Stress. You can see how passionate about I am about this. I'm not even allowing yeah, yeah, you to absolutely. talk, Sean. No, <laughs> no, it's good. It. Yep. Unpack it. So when we think about uh, mental health, we know that depression is the number one form of disability globally. That's huge. We're only trying to capture people that have stress, anxiety, and burnout, which is mm-hmm. the most common. Anxiety is really um, very, very common when it comes to mental health. And are they the top three reasons that people use Leora? At the moment, yes. So we're not, Leora's not built for, I mean, we're not even going down the path of someone who might have schizophrenia or bipolar. Mm -hmm. Like these are Mm. uh, psychosocial disabilities and um, require extensive uh, large language models and probably another whole decade of getting us there. But what we do do is if we can create these um, conversational, engaging, exercises through the chatbot that people can do to self-regulate or learn the process of self-regulating their mental health and emotional well-being, then we free up our clinicians and therapists to Mm. look after people that really, really need it badly. I have a very close friend a number of years ago, and this is, I mean, there's so many reasons why we start businesses, but again, it, it brings back that memory. She was waiting 12 months because she had schizophrenia and she was waiting 12 months to see a specialist for her schizophrenia so she could yeah. be, get a prescription for her medicine. Yeah. That is ridiculous. Yeah, that's just, yeah. I mean, you just think about how, how long one day is uh, when you're battling with mental health, let alone 12 months. Can you, can you take me back to what, was there a specific event that made you decide, I need to build Leora? Like I know, you know, Afia has been amazing. We've had a great journey. I'm doing a lot of good in the world. We're doing a lot of care for a lot of people. But what was the thing that happened that made you like on that day go, 
I have to build this thing. Like it has to be now. Uh, Sean, can I be really honest? Yeah. I'm in a world of pain in a startup again, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm being frank. Like, I'm like, oh, what was I think? So I ask myself this question all the time. I'm like, what? <laughs> I just, I was in startup. I built a great business. Why am I doing startup again? So yes, I have asked myself this question and I consistently ask myself this question and there's a number of things. One, I was in a business and I built a really great business. I was operational in it for 15 years and every single day I realized that we were having a growing problem in healthcare services, in the delivery of healthcare services. We just, in that business, we were looking after people with uh, disability and people that are aging. We never had enough people to be able to respond to the demand of support right. that we needed to carry out. So that was always a pain point. And so it was always obvious to me that at some point we needed technology to interject, to manage low to moderate needs, whether it's yeah. physical disability or mental health or whatever that looks like. And of course, my passion goes back to mental health because mm. I've had personal experience in that. Uh, there's a real... Um, and then oh, lots of my whole world, I've got, you know, very personal relationships where people have had mental health issues that um, I've always also lived through yeah. as a lens of a carer. And so um, those were sort of kind of reoccurring reasons that just kept coming mm -hmm. up as uh, we've got to interject and use technology at some point. Yeah. And, and then COVID really like just, it magnified the need for it. I think COVID yeah. magnified the need for it. We saw it in our own business with people that were really finding it challenging to function and operate at their peak yeah. performance. And was there something that happened like on a specific day, you know, during COVID where you're like, okay, that's it enough thinking about this. Like I, I've, I've been thinking about it. It sounds like it's been kind of emerging for a while. You could see there was a difficulty in balancing supply and demand. You could see there was a difficulty in having almost a one size fits all, high touch, you know, go out and see the customer where actually there was a whole bunch of people that could be triaged, could do self-care, could have inter you know, um, interventions in between care, that there was a way of doing that. But was there something that went, that made you go, okay, because like, you know, I imagine there was a lot in that decision. It wasn't just like, you know, you were, this is, this is a very different decision to, um, I'm working a nine to five job and I'm well-paid corporate and I'm wondering if I should start my first business. Like <laughs> you've done your, you've done your first business and you scale it to a material size. And then you were going, hang on a second, am I going to go back and do this as a startup? Like, just talk to me about the decision point and what, factors came into play and how did you get through that um decision yeah it was it was a weekend uh i clearly remember it so i was asked to do uh, represent a person with lived sort of mental health experience on a podcast and i was with some um the president of a hospital in the uk and a president of the myo director of the myo clinic and we were in this podcast and leading up to the podcast i had the imposter syndrome i was like what am i doing on this podcast We've got these people that are running enormous, you know, global kind of organizations. And so I did a lot of research in preparation for the event. Sorry, it wasn't a podcast. It was a webinar, a global webinar. Mm -hmm. And as I yeah. did the research, I could not believe I'm working, you know, in 15 years, I'm working in psychosocial disability. But what I was looking at and my lens and my experience was very much schizophrenia, drug and alcohol abuse, um, uh, overcoming drug and alcohol addiction, sorry. So it was like the very extreme end of psychosocial mental health issues. 
And as I was preparing for this event, I wanted to understand mainstream issues. What is the average human being going through when it comes to mental health? Because uh, there was little points I wanted to sort of dictate around early intervention and put some value across the early intervention and preventative space. And that was it. Like I remember my husband, like Gaurav came home, he'd just done the groceries. I was sitting in the backyard on my laptop frantically, like picking all these stats and completely blown away that we don't even realize how many people have just anxiety in the world and we're struggling mm. with burnout and we are not aware that we are going down the path of serious mental health conditions. And so yeah. I said to him, he came home and I said, Gaurav, I want to start something around this space. I think we can make a huge impact given our experience. I want to call it Inside Story because... And I had even come up with the name within the hours because I was like, wow, look at these inside stories. I was coming up with, um, I was reading all of these, like in, literally inside stories. Everyone has a story and a really mm. story of pain and suffering and, and healing. And so mm -hmm. we, um, on Monday, like I, yeah, we, I like we registered the business called Inside Story and then went on a six month uh, path of R&D. Everything from there's a there's a problem statement. We know like one in three people now in will suffer from a mental health condition at any point in their life. The most common uh, form of disability being depression, but then stress and anxiety being the most common form of so day-to-day mental health issues. And uh, so identified that, identified the commercial, the product, go to market, and then realized like as I was looking at the, all the business models, I was like, you know what? It makes sense to create a mental health chatbot. It just, okay. I, I'm gonna, if I'm going to do this, it has to be a chatbot. It has to be um, something that's going to empower people to teach them how to take more control of their own health so they're not dependent yep. on a specialist. And so at that stage, were you, at that stage, you were still operational in the business as a co-CEO with your husband and it then... So yes. what then happened to get from, like, when was that conversation? And then when did you, what would the sort of transition look like to then actually be all of a sudden turn around and go, oh, the next five days, I'm only going to be focused on Leora and I'm not going to be focused on Afia talking about that transition. Yeah, it was, um, it was just from that weekend, it was this intense focus around inside story because we'd already come up with the name. Like I, I'd already come up with the name. So I was, everything was about inside story and that was October Mental Health Month when the event was. So from October to December. October to 2020, 2021. 21. 21, yeah, okay. Yeah, not yep. last year because last year we pretty much yes. launched the product. Yep, yep, the year before. Yeah, okay, October 21, yep. Yeah, so it was 21 and then it was, I stepped out in April. Like, so how many mm -hmm. months is that? Six to eight months. April 22, yep, okay. Last year, last year, April, yep. yeah, I stepped out of yep. the business and uh, handed over the reins and it was, it was very challenging psychologically. So then I was like, oh, wow, we, we need this product even more, even for me. <laughs> <laughs> and so is, so was that, was that also, so is Gaurav still running, is he the CEO of the business or did you, uh, did he step back as well and you installed a new CEO? What's the operating model now inside of here? Yeah, he's, uh. He's running it. He's the CEO. Okay. Yeah. So he uh, then took over. And so was he, 
Like that's an interesting conversation in and of itself. You've been running it as co-CEOs and therefore you've been splitting up responsibilities based on stuff that you're interested in and your strengths and all the rest. And then all of a sudden you've got to go, actually, you've, you've got to take the whole thing. Did he want the whole thing or did it take him a, you know, a period of time to kind of wrestle with, well, I'm going to be the sole driver of this thing or what, what was that like? There were high points and low points. And I don't want to speak on behalf of him. This is only my sure. perspective of it. My mm. perspective is that when things are going great, he loves it. <laughs> when he can make decisions, he loves that autonomy. And uh, there's very clear sort of, oh, well, you know, I didn't talk to you about it because you're on the board. So this is still quite an operational <laughs> decision. Oh, wow. So I think uh, when there's high points, my perspective is that he loves it. And when there's uh, down, down periods in the business and there's some real challenges around it could be ELT, it could be sales specific mm. like revenue or a mm. compliance mm. like mm -hmm. regulatory. Um, then we often sit and reflect and say, oh, it would be nice if I was still around. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It's good to be needed. And so you've, yeah. and so in that process, then by April, so six months after this kind of weekend, six months later, you had stepped back into a board role only for a fear. Like how much of that, how much? time does that take um for you your your board role like how much time do you spend looking at results or reports or kind of engaged in a fear versus your focus on the euro so it's interesting i went when i stepped out in april last year i went through a sort of mental journey around that an emotional yeah. kind of period of like this is it because I didn't have anything like Leroy was still conception. It was an ideation. I was speaking to a lot of BCs. I wanted to understand the market because I also knew that it's not something I can build on my own. So I was already mm -hmm. speaking to key stakeholders that I thought would I would need in that journey of growth for Leora. So what I was uh, feeling was a whole sense of rejection because like the market here and the VCs were treading quite carefully around the space. Yes, absolutely. Um, and so... I was feeling emotionally very um, disappointed with my decision of of moving away from Avia. So there were a few emotions mm. I went through. Uh, definitely like, wow, this is my baby and uh, have I abandoned it? Is it, mm -hmm. you know, I went through that questioning. Is it the right decision? I went through a whole world of uncertainty coming from Leora because I wasn't kind of getting the right answers. And I realized that I had to do a lot of research and understanding AI and how it intersects with mental health. It's a very mm -hmm. new area. Yeah. Actually, and as I'm thinking. Yeah, no, go ahead. No, I was just thinking as I, I was going down the path of the journey, I completely lost the question you asked. Well, no, I guess, you know, part of that, um, part of that transition was an identity one as well, right? Like I can only imagine, like I haven't been in that situation, but I'm wondering what the ego was like because you'd essentially, you know, you, you have an identity built up as a business owner. You would have been, you know, you would have been constantly on interviews and all the rest. You've been so successful with the fear, blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden you're putting yourself in a position where you go back to being vulnerable and exposed like, oh, well, what if this fails and can, do I actually have the skills to do this anymore? Cause I spent the last, you know, I've just come out of running a larger business. Like the startup world's changed. Technology's changed. The funding model is probably entirely different. Um, you know, if you're even thinking about VCs, I'm sure there wasn't VC investments in the fear uh, in the early days. It's not that kind of business. So how did you, how did you grapple with 
your personal identity is making that shift. And, you know, did you have a sort of insecurity? Um, like, was it, was it quite scary in terms of having to put yourself back out there and the, the risk of, you know, many startups fail, right? So w- what was that like? Yeah, absolutely. So I think from an identity perspective, what validated for me was that I'm the only person who can validate what I have achieved in my life and be comfortable with the decisions that I'm making and, and the path that I'm choosing. Because, and I say this because no one, no one stopped to say, hey, we're going to miss you. There, there was none of that, you know, like there was none of the, it was just like one day I'm there and the next minute I'm out and everyone in the business was perfectly fine with it. And yeah. it wasn't that they anyone's bad or, but they, mm. you know, it took me a while to understand that. I took it really personally. I was like, wow, I'm really not wanted. I, I didn't <laughs> add much value. Now, when I look back at the business, like this year, we were named, Fear Care Services was named top 10 uh, workplaces in Australasia, top 10 most inspiring workplaces in Australasia. I we saw are, that. Again, awesome. Congrats. Yeah, thank you. And uh, again, last year, towards the end of the year, we won a number of awards for um, most best places to work. Uh, you know, this year we're nominated again three times over in uh, the HRD upcoming awards for best places. And I, I just, no one needs to say it to me and I'm not saying it out of ego at all, but just humility and self, um, acceptance. Hmm. I think I've left a bit of a legacy because those things don't happen overnight. And so I can comfortably say that it's okay. That's, you know, I created something that's still recognized and they're, and they're able Hmm. to carry on that vision and that is beautiful. And no one needs to say that to me, that. I think I would be interested to hear other CEOs and founders and their journeys um, and how they come to that point of it's okay to appreciate what you've done for yourself. Absolutely. Well, I think, you know, it's quite the, uh, you know, legacy is an understatement because you built a business that's very on purpose and doing real good in the world. And I think it's so satisfying to be able to step back and, um, and to actually, and to be so proud of the team continuing to, to build it on, you know, when I left, Adventure Co, which was probably three years ago now, like we built it from three mil to fifty mil, and um, the most exciting, you know, when I when I departed, I was like, oh, they don't need me. To your point, it's like I always yes. think, you know, when someone leaves a business, um, you know, whether you've you know had you've watched somebody leave a business or it's been you, it's like um, sand. It's like I always think it's like a hole in the sand. It gets swallowed up so fast and we're so worried that the whole thing's going to fall apart without us and we're so important to it and all the rest. And as soon as that, as soon as the wind blows in and that <laughs> hole fills up, everyone's like, what? So who are you again? And the world just keeps yes. moving, which is amazing. But when you can step back and I can see that, that business today with the same team in place, like the same core team and they're now up to, you know, 80 plus, um, but they're doing really good work and I can see it from the outside. It's actually really gratifying, even though I'm not no longer part of it, to see that the strategy we put in place is still the one being executed. The culture that we built is still the one that's being um, that's still being built today by the people who I really cared about uh, and put into that team. And they're just still amazing humans uh, doing more great work. And so, so it is very gratifying. But yeah, no one, no one reaches out to you to go, Hey, actually, I did have one person who reached out to me and said, I just, want to just, I just wanted to let you know the reason that all this is being achieved is because what you actually did in the first four years, but no one's probably ever going to tell you that. But just so you know, everybody still thinks highly of you. I was like, it's good to know. 
Now, what if I told you that with just 15 minutes of effort, you could find out the top three things that are going to hold your business back from scaling in a sustainable way so that you can fulfill its potential and you can enjoy it as much as you deserve to? And what if I told you in that same 15 minutes of effort, you can find out how your business stacks up against thousands of other businesses who've taken the same test so you can actually see how you compare? If that sounds interesting, you need to head straight over to scalehq.com.au forward slash growth score. You're going to complete a short survey and you're going to get back in your inbox a free nine page report. It's going to show you how you stack up versus your peers and where you need to focus to unlock scalability and a greater level of enjoyment in your business. And for a limited time, I'm going to offer you a free 30 minute debrief on the report where myself or one of our ScaleHQ founder mentors who are all experienced CEOs and have scaled successfully will unpack your specific report with you. We've done hundreds of these, and so we know exactly how to help you get the most out of the insights in there. There's no selling from us, just lots of value for you. Head over to scalehq.com.au forward slash growth score and get your free growth score report right now. You are going to love it. Oh, um, that's sweet. You've articulated so what about, it really well. <laughs> it's, uh, it's an interesting experience. What? Tell me about actually the funding. So you explored with VCs to kind of get a sense of their appetite. Was this a a fear sponsored um, subsidiary? Did you was this a um, did you did, was this out of like personal money? We want to do this entirely separately. We're going to seed something in and of itself, and we're going to have no relationship with the fear. What about the funding aspect? Have you bootstrapped? Have you taken VC investment? Like, talk to me just about how you thought about that. Yeah. So of course, everything goes right to the top, which is the family trust. So there is that relationship. Yes. Mm-hmm. However, the business Leora is in and off its own entity, completely and entirely separate from Afia Care Services, mm-hmm. right? Um, but the ownership level, when you go a few layers up, is obviously Gaurav and I. Yes. We had the, the thinking was that we would seed in up to the first mil, mm-hmm. get it to a point of revenue generation, and then start looking at uh, divestation. So we would then mm-hmm. start divesting to be able to scale it to... Um, uh, to grow, basically. To the next stage, yeah. Yeah, to mm-hmm. the next stage. So, yeah, Afia is 100% owned by us and there's no sort of VC uh, partners. And then mm-hmm. Leora was just going to be a completely different trajectory. That's the vision. For, I yeah. mean, that's still the vision for it. So we've we've seeded in and we continue to invest in it and we will continue to yeah. invest. And we are actually actively, you know, looking for solid invested investor partners that want to come on the journey. Okay. And is it at revenue now or where are you at in the in the stage of the business model? Yeah, I, it's at revenue now. So we have businesses uh, that pay for it as an employment assistance program. This was mm-hmm. a number of months of uh, market research. Um, we originally went to market as a, a direct consumer product. Okay. So, so originally B2C. Yeah. Yeah, it was originally B2C. And that was, that was really where I wanted to play in, in the market. That's what I was really mm. confident. I was like, yeah, let's get, unfortunately we found very quickly through commercialization at those initial stages of commercialization and product market fit, as well as u- lots of user testing, continue to invest a lot in user testing, that that wasn't going to happen in Australia. Australia is not built for um, mm. that B2C market in mental health care because we have, yeah. we actually have a huge uh, support from the government um, through, you know, Charities and not-for-profits that dominate that space, whether that's Lifeline and beyond, um, Blue, etc. Mm-hmm. And so, where we found now our product market fit, and where we're now really ramping up our commercialization, 
it's an employment assistance program. Businesses pay for it. Yep. To offer their employees uh, mental health support. It's an it's a novel EAP. And it's uh, very mm-hmm. different because you've got on-demand therapists there that you can book straight away for a telehealth session, a virtual session. So we're very much digital first. Mm. And uh, that's where it's quite, it's got a nice differentiation to other EAPs where you ring a phone number, you go into a black hole, and then you book a session three weeks later when it's too late already. And yes, pretty the, much the situation has passed. <laughs> yeah, and you've self-soothed in like the most uh, n- negative ways. Yes, like we yes. All do. inappropriate ways. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, well, that's, um, and I, I love that, um, like for those who are listening, we got a lot of, you know, there's a lot of seven-figure founders listening to this podcast who've probably almost forgotten the first few years of having to build their business. And actually all of this, all of this iteration and testing that happens, um, like the the figuring out the business model and who's actually going to pay for it. Like I thought it was going to be consumers and all of a sudden I discovered actually it needs to be the enterprises, but I can still get to the end consumer. They just happen to be an employee as opposed to just, you know, um, every jam. Black. And if the business doesn't make any money, then the business ceases to exist. And so it's part of the uh, natural, but it's also part of the joy, right? It's actually the problem solving and the figuring out um, and finding the way to make it work and all that uh, that hustle. What can I, um, I'm very interested in your perspective on what you've taken from the Afia journey that you are infusing into the Leora journey. Because, I mean, you've, you've built a sizable business and the learnings, of course, are very different at the different stages of the business. You know, you're learning a lot more about leadership and, you know, building culture and, and scale, you know, things that can happen at scale in the later years as opposed to the stuff you did, which was, you know, like 15, 16 years ago. Um, what learnings did you take into Leora and have been sort of deliberate about infusing into the way you're building that business? That's a really interesting question because Leora is such a different business Mm. and beast. I have had to uh, very fast learn artificial intelligence. I've had to learn technology um, as a product that the business is a technology product versus in a fear. Yes, we built um, technology, but that wasn't the business. The core business is still delivering care. I've had to learn products. Um, so there's a lot of new learnings, but what I can confidently say what I've brought from AFIA is because the last four years in AFIA, we've been best places to work. I'm bringing all of that IP and how we did that into the psycho, uh, the psychological model of an employment assistance program. And the reason is because of all of my conversations with business leaders and CEOs and people in culture. So small to medium businesses dominate the Australian market. Something like 95% Mm. of businesses in Australia are actually small to medium businesses. They don't have the resources. This is our little secret source. So they don't have the resources to create great cultures because at that time they're completely consumed in growing that business. So what yeah. we're infusing is actually all of our learnings on how do you bring a great place to work. Um, and we can do that through Leora because Leora doesn't just need to be a mental health app, but it can create psychological safety. It can uh, mm. improve the culture of the organization through some of the things that we're bringing in, which are little secrets and I don't want to give too much away. But uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that that's probably the biggest thing that we're bringing into Leora. Mm, that's so interesting. I mean, psychological safety has been such a big uh, growth area in terms of people's acknowledgement of the importance of that in culture, uh, like a place. Fundamentally, if you think about any environment where you feel 
no, no one's going to take risks in the absence of safety, right? Like, you know, you think about sort of it's almost leadership 101. If people are scared of how you're going to react when they screw something up, then they're not going to screw anything up and they're just going to play safe and you're going to end up with a whole bunch of conservative doers who wait to be told and then just rely on your instructions. You don't get people who are driving innovation. Um, I'm getting distracted. I have another question for you. Um, so that's about what you had to learn. That's about what you've been able to sort of take from Afia into Leora. What did you have to unlearn? Because you would have built up almost like a mental bank of like, this is how you get to success and this is what success looks like and this is all the things that work. And then you come into a startup environment where you probably had to throw a whole bunch of things out. What did you, what did you have to unlearn to succeed in this model? Delegation. <laughs> I had to unlearn to delegate. I had to unlearn and realize that it's me. <laughs> that has been the biggest challenge. Like, so what happens is you're a startup, you're a small business, you are the expert in every area of domain. But my last few years in my business, I was no longer the expert. I had mm. spent a lot of time in coaching and leadership in that sphere and just getting the best out of people. In Leora, I had to unlearn all of that and actually become an expert. Like I need to know technology. I need to know sprints. I need to know product. I need to know the AI and I can't delegate that. So that was quite a journey and a few months of uh, sort of pain because I naturally would keep delegating and hiring. And then I was like, oh no, this is not going to work. So look in a good it's a good thing. I, I think that business is mm. about learning and it's about our own evolution and growth. I don't see it as a negative. It's, make, it's making me laugh because uh, I had you know numerous conversations with friends after I left my group CEO role and the, you know, in the first six months, the question was, well, what, how are you finding kind of the starting point of building scale? And I was like, I keep looking around for people to delegate to and there's just no one there. It's like... <laughs> It's ridiculous. It's like, oh, what? I have to write the blog and I have to like design. I don't know how to use Canva or like, <laughs> I'm so used to I having teams of people to do all this stuff. And to your point, you all of a sudden have to go back. You actually, I think, you know, the big challenge as you're growing up in a business, as you said, is you actually have to unlearn being the smartest person in the room. Um, because if you continue to be the smartest person in the room, then the business is suffocated by you, your development, your mind, and you never end up with anyone smarter than you. So nobody ever takes the reins, no one drives, no one's more capable. And that's a real problem because all of a sudden the business is dependent on you. So you actually have to really unlearn to being the smartest person in the room and get rid of your ego and hire people that are better than you at things. <laughs> and now you've got to go back to the opposite where you go, you know what, I probably do have to be the smartest person in the room on a whole range of areas, maybe not like super deep technical, like hey, maybe I don't have to be the smartest coder, but if I actually don't know enough to hold my developers to account or to, you know, to know how to test if the wool's being pulled over my eyes or whether the, you know, the thing's going to be quality or whatever, then, <laughs> then you've got problems, um, especially because you can't usually afford in the early stages, the most expensive people who would do that for you in the future. Yeah. Such That's an interesting it. journey. Yes. Wow. Um, can I ask for your, you know, we've got a whole bunch of founders listening, as I mentioned, who this is like, I think this is the pinnacle for lots of founders. I think a lot of, a lot of founders, I always talk to my, to my um, the clients and the, the founders that we support in Scale HQ about three particular, you know, when we're setting up their strategy, we're talking about do they want to step up, i.e. they want to keep scaling and they also want to scale up their leadership and, and stay at the helm and continue to be the CEO and just see how far they can push a thing or 
are they really trying to plan a strategy that allows them to step back into a director's role, some level of you know um, influence, ownership, et cetera, et cetera, over the asset, but no longer operational? Or do they are they planning for a step out? So step up, step back, or step out? Um, and many of them want the step back option. Um, and partly because some of them recognize, some of them really enjoy the journey of continuing to step up and growing their leadership. Some of them have absolutely no desire once the business gets past even 50 people or 100 people to continue to be at the helm. Because as you know very well, having a having had a, a many, many hundreds of FTE, it ceases to be, you know, there's a lot of people leadership stuff that you've got to learn. There's a lot of, you know, how do you run a company as opposed to run a business um, stuff that you've got to learn. And not everybody loves that. So you're, what you've done now for those who are like, I just love that initial hustle. I love the figuring it out. I love the problem solving. I love finding the customer who is willing to pay me and chasing it down. Um, I think yours is, you know, you're at a stage for many founders who are listening who are probably like, that's like the pinnacle, build a big business, then step back, then start a new thing. How exciting. And um, so I'm interested in that context, what your advice would be to someone who's currently, you know, their business is going well, it's growing well. They might be, they might still be, you know, relatively early days, like, I don't know, five to 15 mil. Um, but this is their ambition. What advice would you give them? Wow, that's a big question. And I think it really, because it depends on what their biggest internal challenge is. You know, is it going to be uh, removing the identity and moving away from that? identity that they've created that's going to be the biggest challenge then the advice would be you've got to do a lot of inner work Mm. right and of detachment um it's a big question but i think it's knowing yourself like you've got to do a lot of inner work for these big decisions in your life so my i mean i would encourage anyone you know you've got to go on a path of like self-discovery what do you absolutely love and our values through our life change so we, as we evolve as humans and go through life events, whether that's like having our kids and then parent buying a few houses and coming to towards like a more mature marriage life, our values are constantly changing. So I think it's really sitting with your value system and understanding where you are in your life. Like I felt that I had a creative outburst, you know, post-COVID. So I, I wanted to go back into full expression. And sometimes you can't do that in a well-formed business because it's too disruptive. Mm. So yeah. it's asking yourself those questions like, I'm, am I really happy in what I'm doing? Have I got more to give? What? Mm. And, and so and getting that, that values alignment right. There's a and question it, in there as well that's, that, that's raising for me around, you know, what is giving you energy and what's taking energy away because you because that's something as you said you know your values change and therefore the things you want to prioritize and naturally want to move towards change and probably because it's actually giving you energy and i think one of the biggest challenges for founders is they if they make the assumption that they're like you know they have to be the one at the helm or they have to be the one who does everything but they've got areas of the business that absolutely suck the life out of them and you know they end up often self-sabotaging their companies because they just hate doing that thing rather than finding somebody else to pick up those reins and do the thing but so maybe maybe there's a scenario where you need to kind of constantly be you know maybe an annual um check in with yourself to go based on the things that i'm actually going to be doing in the next 12 months personally not what the business goals are 
but what does that mean for me? What does it mean I'm going to spend my time focused on? And is that actually going to give me energy or is it going to take energy away from me? Because it sounded like you, you know, your energetic needs changed and you needed to get back into that creative space and it was something that sort of drove uh, you. And very fortunately, you'd built actually a leadership model that allowed you to have a trusted CEO to pick up the um, the reins, which uh, that I mean, that in and of itself can be a big challenge, right? If somebody's still running the business as a CEO, has the epiphany that you had and then goes, oh dear, I've actually got like three years now before I can do anything because I don't have anyone else to hand the reins over to. That's that's an interesting challenge in and of itself. Yeah, you make a really good point. I think it's um, it's also going to that, you know, depth of understanding what's taking energy from me now where do I get energy from? And then if I decide to do X, Y, and Z, how will that shift in the right direction for me? Mm -hmm. And then I think um, the other point is, you know, in our businesses, it um, it, it just, you, you make a good point around succession. I think at any point, no matter what size of business it is, always thinking about that succession. And I always view that as an important part of my like my lens around my future, which is who's going to look after this if I'm no longer there. So I'm, I'm very mm. lucky that Gaurav and I worked together. Me and my husband worked together really well. But I, I think if he wasn't in the business, that is definitely inherently something I would have created because I'm yeah. always looking forward. So I'm always securing my base. He's going to, he's going to manage this. And I think that's, that's really important because the minute that you want to do something else, you want to have that option. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and actually, I would also say for those who are maybe thinking about some kind of, it's almost a bit of a side um, point, but many, many companies have a good, healthy seven-figure business and their financial ambitions aren't that sort of, you know, overly done or crazy. And they think, yeah, I, I want to have an exit. I want to do it now. It's like, okay, great. But you're still running the business and you don't have a trusted general manager that's ready to step up. You don't have any, you don't have a co-CEO, you don't have anyone else to build it. So you want to have a full exit and you've told me you want to get out in like three months, that's great. Um, but what risk does that create for the buyer if you don't have somebody who's actually already in there and proven in that environment? Like that's a that's a gigantic vendor cliff kind of a risk for a buyer to take, and that's going to affect the valuation you're going to get. So I agree with you. It's got to be on the it's got to be on your radar. It's got to be something you've got to be thinking about um, all the way up if you want to have the option the opportunity to step back or to step out. Um, you need it for both of those those options. Isha, this has been um, so lovely to see you again, and I am so uh, grateful for you sharing your time and um, and your vulnerability of the journey because I think it's such a it's such a human journey um, that you've had to go through and such a psychological one as much as a business one. Um, how would people? How would you encourage people to get in touch or follow along with what Leora is doing? Where would you send them? I would say search me up or Leora on LinkedIn. It is the most active platform for me. I don't go on to anything much more than LinkedIn or of course go to the website www.leora.ai and get curious. Um, it's a novel uh, product that's going to really reshape how mental health services are delivered and I'm very open to feedback. So if you've got an opinion awesome. or a thought, yeah, reach out. Beautiful. Aisha Oberoi, thank you so much for your time today. Folks, thank you very much for, uh, for sticking with us. I hope you got a lot of value out of that. I'm sure you did. And we will see you again next week. Thanks again, Aisha. The team here at Scale HQ hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Now, if you want to achieve scale, but you want to know what's going to hold you back, we can help. Head over to scalehq.com.au forward slash growth score to get your free nine page growth score report. That's going to help you understand where your top three barriers are to scale 
And if you'd like, we'll even do a free debrief on the report for you with no obligations or expectations, just lots of value from some CEOs who've scaled to help you on your journey. That's scalehq.com.au forward slash growth score and find out what's holding you back from fulfilling the potential of your business today.